At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of the Yard. Hope things are well with you. Man, it's a great week. It's a great week. We get college football this week. We don't get Mississippi State football this week. But we do get a little football. And I'll be honest with you guys, too. Football season's kind of snuck up on me, and I've been a little bit busier than most, I guess. But, um, you know, we get back from Omaha. We start the new book. And uh, I will submit the final chapter today. I want to share you a few things that I learned yesterday that I think that won't make the book, but uh, probably some things that you'll find of interest. But, uh, you know, we get, we get back... You know, and then we've got a lot going on. And even if you weren't weren't writing a book, I mean, it's like you have the elongated baseball season that basically takes you up to July 4th weekend. Then it's media days, and then we're in the fall camp. We're talking about practice reports, and we're going to review the uh, Saturday scrimmage with you guys on today's show. And football's here. Yeah, I kind of like this. I I had a friend of mine recently, an attorney friend of mine, uh, that listens to this show regularly. I won't mention his name because uh, they, they were kind of getting the go to some Ole Miss folks that uh, said he was visiting with a judge and some other lawyers. And the judge said, you know, we Mississippi State folks don't get a break, man. You know, it's like we, we never get any time off because we're always playing sports, you know. And, and that's a pretty good thing. It's true. You know, and, and I go back to, I remember, and of course writing this book, you get a chance to go relive a lot of that stuff. But, you know, there were some points in the season, you know, where we had these flashes of greatness, and you think, you know what, we're capable of beating anybody in America, and ultimately we did. But there were some other times, too, you think, you know, we're, we're also capable of losing to anybody in America. And it was quite the wild ride, for sure. But, man, how good does it feel to win? That's the thing is I finished this book up, and I'll be honest with you, I'm really not ready to let it go. I know that sounds kind of, you know, silly or whatever, but it's like I shared on Facebook – I'm going to miss working on this book. It has been so much fun for me just to go back and be able to talk to people and, and kind of relive some of these moments. But um, this is a time in our lives that we'll never forget. And it's been my honor to kind of document this. And um, a couple of things I'll share with you. I spoke with uh, Jake Gotro and Scott Foxhall yesterday. I don't know if you guys can fully appreciate how good those guys are. I- I'm serious. I mean, it's like they, they don't do a ton of media. You know, you hear their names a lot, and it's like, you know, but you guys don't really have a relationship with them. I mean, you hear Lamona speak, you know, a couple times each week during baseball season, so you've got a pretty good idea of who Chris is. You know, Scott and Jake are outstanding people, as is Kyle Cheesebro, Roger Roadheaver, everybody involved in Mississippi State baseball. Lamona has really surrounded himself with quality people, not just quality baseball coaches. you got a lot of good people in that complex, man. You really do. People you can be proud of. 
Scott Foxhall scared, shared a story with me that it won't make the book. I, I may write an article about this a little bit later, but um, it's interesting. It, he had contacted Gene Swindoll here about a month ago and said, hey, I got a couple things I want to give Steve for the book. And so we finally had a chance to get together. Scott called me, I guess, last Friday. And I was so worn out Friday. I'd been up till about 2 in the morning. I uh, was up, I think I told you guys too, it's like I, I started about 9 a.m. Thursday and got done around 2 a.m. Friday morning working on the history chapter, which is really chapter one uh, in the book. And I was worn out. And then Scott calls and we talk. And it just kind of you know refills the tank a little bit. But he shared a story with me yesterday about Will Bednar. You know, we're getting ready to go play Texas the third time overall but the second time in Omaha and he said he was a little bit cautious you know he wanted Will to just kind of dial the emotions back just a little bit and kind of understand you know hey and these guys have seen you just a few days ago so you know they're, they're going to be a little more prepared so you might not go out there and replicate what happens what you did the first time you know 15 strikeouts you know of course we said a college world series record 21 strikeouts in a game Will had 15 of them and so Fox is just trying to kind of dial it back a little bit. And he goes, hey, Will, you're not going to do what you did last time against Texas. And Scott said before he could even get the sentence out of his mouth that Will looked at him and said, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And you love it. You love a guy that wants a baseball, man, especially in a big game like that. And, and, um, and so he said, well, listen, I'm just going to tell you, don't try to do what you did last time. And he said, Bednar told him, Coach, I'm not going to try to do it. I'm just going to do it. That's an alpha dog right there. That's outstanding stuff. And, and uh, you spoke with Jay Gotro, who was officially the last interview for the book Dog Pile. And I enjoy talking to Jake. Took me a little while to get a hold of him yesterday. He was in Lamonis' pool having a shrimp bowl and all that good stuff, living the life. Those guys have earned it for sure. But Jake and I spoke at length about T.A. and Rowdy. And, and uh, yeah, sometimes I think, you know, we think we've got a pretty good sense of what's happening with those guys. And this is one thing, too, that will make the book in much greater detail. But, you know, he said there was a stretch there. You know, Rowdy got off to a huge start, you know, hit a couple jacks out there at State Farm, college baseball showdown. And then, you know, Rowdy kind of lost his way a little bit. You know, it was a time he was kind of struggling. And around that same time, T.A. was struggling a little bit. And he said he sat both of them down and said, hey, listen, this ball club doesn't need you to be anything more than what you are. What you are and what you bring is enough. And in order for us to be the ball club that we can be, we just need you guys to be T.A. and Rowdy. We don't need you to try to do too much. We don't need you to go out here and try to do everything for everybody else. Just be you. Go out there and play to the best of your ability. We can get things done. And from that point forward, not only did they get better, but we got better. It's incredible how that works because, you know, you get some guys sometimes, and, and listen, let's be honest. I mean, you know, with you know with Ethan Small and Jake Mangum and Jordan Westberg and Justin Foscue moving on, you know, the mantle of leadership kind of falls to that next veteran group, and that's what happened this year. You know, of course, we had some really good leadership, but that's a lot of pressure. You know, all of a sudden, you know, okay, we don't have Foscue that can come in here with uh, two outs in the fourth and hit a three-run bomb and turn a game round for us. You know, we don't have Jake to go out there and lead off an inning, of course, and, uh, you know, when times are tight against a pitcher that's feeling it, we don't have that guy. And so sometimes, you know, guys put a lot of pressure on themselves, and that was kind of the case with those guys. And so you kind of you know, pull the curtain back a little bit and you kind of see them as people. And I think that, again, speaks to the testament of the quality of the coaches that we have, that they can see 
maybe when a guy is pressing a little bit too much, just kind of pull him back a little bit and remind him, hey, listen, you're one of nine guys in order. You can't go out there and hit a 10-run home run. Just go out there and do your best. It's great stuff, man. It really is. And uh, looking forward to you guys having it. So here's what will happen after I submit this final chapter. So I'll get the edited versions back. Like, so what happens is, you know, when I send, submit them, there is a, a few people that are involved in this process. And so you have basically have you know, kind of a grammatical check. You have a content check, some things of that nature. Uh, you know, and so there's a lot of people involved in that process. Well, then I get all those notes and questions back. And I will work diligently this week to get all that stuff done. Well, while that's being taken care of, you know, there's pictures being gathered and that sort of stuff. There'll be a little photo gallery in the book. And then everything goes to uh, the guy that lays the book out. There's always stuff going on. And, of course, thankfully to my publisher, they've already prepared the printer and the layout people. Hey, this is coming on or around this date. We're actually ahead of schedule. You know, the original plan is I was supposed to finish the book up this, this coming weekend. So we're about a week ahead of schedule. Because of the fact that there have been there's just delays in the supply chain, you know, in every industry, and so the you know the, the printer's like, hey, look, ordinarily it'd be four to six weeks, probably going to be six to eight weeks, so we're just not going to run any, any you know the risk of having this thing be delayed for the holidays. So we're going to go ahead and get its thing done. So there were some there was a couple of weeks there I basically wrote every day, and you may have noticed show's been getting a little bit later, that sort of stuff, and so hopefully we'll get back on a regular schedule with the season being here, but. Um, so that's what's going to happen, and then it'll go off and, and uh, it'll be printed. And so the cover has been finalized. I, ha- I don't have the final uh, proof yet. Once I do, I'll share it with you guys. Uh, excited about it. A couple of interesting things on it. Pretty straightforward in many respects, though. And then uh, we'll have the pre-order link. And so the hope is all that takes place. So you like the, the, the cover and the pre-order link, all that kind of happens around the same time. I've shared with you guys before, to guarantee you're going to get a book, you need to pre-order. You need to pre-order because once these books get in the hands of these bookstores who are also taking pre-orders, most of them, I can't guarantee you, you know, I don't know how many they're going to buy. You know, the, you know, Lemuria Books in Jackson has done a great job over the years for me. And every single time as we get into holiday season, their inventory gets pretty much depleted and publishers got to bring some more books. And so I, I, I just don't know what's going to be in reserve this year. And so I'm just trying to create some urgency because I don't I want everybody that wants to book a book for Christmas to be able to get it. And so if you wait to like, oh, well, I'm just going to, hey, I'll go get Steve Robertson's book, you know, the week before Christmas, chances are it's not going to happen. I'm just shooting you straight. So if you want signed, personalized copies, you need to pre-order through the website. And that, uh, you know, it'd be like everything else. You know, all those URLs that, uh, you know, Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, all that goes the same place. And so will that uh, Dogpile. So there'll be a URL for Dogpile the book and it'll take you to the website with which to order and so not available yet but it will be so that's kind of where we are i get a lot of messages throughout the week saying hey steve where can we order when can we pre-order it's the best that i can do for you right now it's one of those things i don't control i just write the book and, and smile for the pictures and so it's all been done but it's been one of the greatest joys of my life and you know i wrote the chapter yesterday finished up his interviews and just really needed to take a break and so i'll, I'll kind of transcribe and plug in some of those quotes today and and then uh, you guys will kind of make some preparations to, to have the book. And um, everybody I talk to is like, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to buy the X number of copies for everybody in my family. And it really excites me. It's the longest book I've ever written. I think it's the best book I've ever written. 
And it probably has changed the way I work a little bit because uh, usually I'm a little more casual in my writing schedule. You know, when I, when I wrote Alpha Dogs, which is one of – I absolutely love the stories in that book. There's, I think there's seven baseball stories in that book. But, uh, you know, we had quarantine. You know, so it was like every day felt the same. You know, this time was a lot different because I had to kind of navigate all through this stuff you know, during football camp. And, of course, we had uh, prospect camps and that sort of stuff. So there was a lot going on. But – I wasn't quite as casual. I, I made an actual writing schedule. You outlined the book and said, okay, here's what I want to cover, and this is how I do it. And then I made a schedule that was pretty rigorous, but uh, I still finished ahead of schedule. And, and I don't say that in any way to, um, to praise myself, but just to say that, you know, to create the sense of urgency that's required to kind of produce this thing before the holidays. So there you go. And if you're looking for the other books, go to alphadogsthebook.com. That's alpha, D-A-W-G-S, thebook.com. You can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. And if you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, which is still on the Mississippi Bestsellers list, looks like we're going to make at least a three-month run there, which is really cool for a book of poetry. I never fully expected that to happen, to be honest with you. I was just hoping that it made the list. It's been on there every week since release. If you're looking for that, you can find it at great bookstores everywhere. They can order it for you if they don't have it in stock. You can get personalized copies through Bookmartin Cafe here in Starkville. If you don't care about signatures, you go to Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, and you can order that book. It's also available on Nook and Kindle. All right, Bulldog Burger Company. We had Bulldog Burger Company in this house, uh, let me think here, Friday? And then we had the grill yesterday. Part of a great family of restaurants. Bulldog Burger Company always comes through. I, I got the, at the BLT salad. Because I had a big lunch. And then I ended up having a big supper. Except it was a little bit healthier. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will too. And it doesn't matter what I get. Uh, there's, there's plenty of food. It's one of the things that aggravates me. I go to some of these places where it's kind of a dine and dash deal. And you go in there and you eat. And it's like, it's just not substantial enough. You don't feel like you got your money's worth. You always get your money's worth. With Bulldog Burger Company. Not just because the portions are so generous. But because the flavor is so incredible. Check it out today. Three locations to serve you right here. University Drive and Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and that's an incredible location. And then the brand new one, the baby of the family. Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgeland. And I continue every single week. Somebody's messaging me or tweeting me and said, hey, Steve, we tried to build a burger company here. It's great. It's great. And you will have a great time. You absolutely will. You can have an adult beverage there. You can have uh, you know good desserts there. You can get desserts to go, which is always kind of cool, too. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's talk a little bit about the scrimmage. This is probably the last time we get to see the the team scrimmage before we get into the season. Now, Mike Leach and his staff have been incredibly accommodating for us. We have been able to attend every practice start to finish with the exception of the, the two times they have gone inside due to weather. And then as soon as it stopped raining, they came back out. And then we were able to attend practice. And uh, the access has been just tremendous. And I hope you guys have enjoyed the coverage over at jeanspage.com. A lot of it's free. Anytime we get the big room stuff where we're recording stuff or we're doing interviews that everybody in the media is doing, we'll make that stuff free. I'm not going to make you pay for that when everybody else is providing it for free. But I don't know how much access we're going to have in season, probably 15, 20 minutes per practice. And you can say, well, Steve, what can you learn there? Well, you can see who's healthy. You can see who's in a yellow no-contact jersey. You can see who's out at practice or if anybody's on crutches and that sort of stuff. And so, you know, that's really the extent of what we'll see, and then we'll have our media opportunities. But um, 
You know, it's been great. I, I can't say enough about how Mike Leach has been so good to all of us in the media so far. It's been great. And so we've been able to attend both fall scrimmages. And I think a lot of that, too, is just a confidence level from Mike Leach. I, th- I think Mike Leach is one of those guys that's like, hey, we do what we do. I mean, everything is on film. Sure, there are a couple new wrinkles. I, I, we're seeing a little more innovation, I guess, with the running game out of some of these air raid fundamentals and formations. And so that's kind of interesting. But, you know, it's not about hiding stuff. I mean, it's like, it's like Leach is saying, you know what, this is what we do. This is what we've always done. Yeah, there'll be a few wrinkles every now and again, but we've got nothing to hide. We're going to go out here and out-execute you. We're going to out-rep you in practice, and we're going to be able to go out there and play. And that's the thing, too, about this offense. You know, talking to some former Washington State players, they just tell you. I mean, there's so much of it that is determined by what the defense does, but also, too, to kind of what the quarterback sees. It's a very quarterback-centric offense. And so there's just a lot of things that happen at the line of scrimmage, some communication that you can't – it doesn't matter. You could go out there and run a practice tape yourself, but until you know what the quarterback sees and how they plan to attack you, it doesn't make any difference. Now, obviously, everybody would say, hey, formation, we'd love to know what they're going to do. And I guess that's why we'll be you know, somewhat limited. We haven't been able to take any pictures or video in practice either, but we've been able to see it. So here's what happened on Saturday. And uh, the first thing I'll tell you is I thought, I thought we looked good on both sides of the line of scrimmage. I thought we looked good on both offense and defense. I won't say we looked great from top to bottom. Now, there were stretches there, you know, where the offense looked great, and there were stretches where the defense looked great. And you really, that's kind of what you want, right? You don't want one side to dominate. Well, that, that didn't happen. So let's start and just kind of run through these drives here, and I'll give you a few little, you know, comments here and there so here's what we do too in the media so everybody is responsible for something you know like so one person charts tackles and and then uh you know me and another person will chart pass breakups and you know quarterback hurries and tackles for loss and fumbles and that sort of stuff and somebody else does passing attempts receptions and so everybody kind of works together collectively so you should see some pretty consistent numbers being reported but they're all unofficial it's not anything that the university gives us. I mean, there's no statistician out there, you know, keeping up with live stats and sending that information to us. So all of this is, is pretty close, if you understand what I'm saying. So we started the second team offense versus the first team defense and, and really put together a good drive. And it's like the first couple drives, I'm thinking, man, offense is going to have a good day. Defense stood tall, though, when it mattered most. And so Levertich comes in. And uh, the first thing we do is we run the football, and J.J. JJ Jernigan has a nice little run off left side. And then we hit Jernigan for 18 yards, really just kind of a flare pass, kind of swing it out there to him. And Jernigan has got it's down the depth chart a little bit. And, again, that kind of speaks to the the depth of this group. We hit walk-on Brody King across the middle for seven. And then we – so we're down there in red zone, and Lovertich throws a potential touchdown pass, and the coverage there was really, really tight. I'm not sure what receiver it was. Paul Jones and I have actually talked about this because it all happened so quick. And I think we saw a couple of little things differently, but um, Levertich tries to kind of ram it in there, and it doesn't get there. I couldn't tell if the DB got a touch on it or it just came off the arm of the receiver. And then Nathaniel Watson makes a diving interception – in the end zone. And that's the guy, too, you need to be looking for. 
That's a guy that's stepping up and really he's played all three linebacker spots, but he's going to be your Mike linebacker. All right, second drive, we have the first team offense against the second team defense. Will Rogers, of course, at cornerback. We'll come out there and go right out to Malik Heath, who fights and stretches ahead for a nice scan of 15 yards. We swing it out to Dylan Johnson for seven. And then this, I thought this interception here, I don't know if it's, you know, the receiver and the quarterback were on the same page, but Will throws it. Dylan Lawrence makes an athletic play, but it was really kind of right into his catch radius, and Dylan runs it back 75 yards for a touchdown. Now, I know there's a lot of people that say, well, you know, Steve, we signed that Dylan Lawrence kid. I'm not sure what to expect. Let me go ahead and tell you now. We walked out there the first day of practice, and some of these new guys in the media said, who is 24? That guy looks like a monster. Dylan Lawrence looks completely different. So, again, Dylan Lawrence picks it off, takes it back for a touchdown. And then Jaquavius Marks, who I think has really emerged as the number one running back, and you would expect that to happen. He's gained some mass. He's running really hard. Uh, Marks is a nice run. Uh, put together back-to-back runs from 20 yards there combined. Rodney Gross had a nice play. And he's another guy, too, that is kind of sneaky in fall camp. You hadn't heard him talk about a whole lot, but you look up every now and again, and he's doing something you know, team-wise on defense, whether it's like he's occupying two guys on a block or he's out there undercutting a route and getting a hand up, um, really having a good, a good camp. You know, again, not expected him to start, but I'm beginning to, to see him kind of figured out. And I think he'll be a solid two deeper for us. Um, King Ani got a sack. Pretty good, good game for him. Uh, he, was, he actually had two sacks. I've seen some reports that he had three. Uh, we charted the sacks. He had two. And that's the end of the drive. And, uh, again, you know, the first two drives, defense comes up with uh, two picks. So, third drive, Daniel Greig comes in. And Katravian Hargrove, again, really emerging as a rising star in this offense. How much he plays this year kind of remains to be seen. But he is a guy that uh, we're expecting some big things from down the road. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious at this point. We know exactly what needs to happen uh, when it comes to running backs in this offense. And um, excited to see how he progresses. I think that he's a guy that uh, has a bright future ahead of him. I think he's a guy, too, that a lot of people uh, probably undervalued as a prospect. I know he had some big offers early, and a lot of people were like, oh, well, this guy's going to do great. And then when he didn't pick the school they wanted, they quit talking about him, if that makes sense. Because late in the process, he didn't have a lot of opportunities available to him. So, I like him. Everybody tells me he's the fastest running back on campus. When you swing it out to him, he's the guy that can make you pay. There's no doubt about it. He is a guy that will absolutely get out there and make you pay. All right, and so uh, Daniel Grigg tucks it and goes. And then uh, Jevin Banks, a tackle for loss off the right side for about two yards there. Find Teddy Knox, seven yards, and then Greek runs it in. So, the very first touchdown of the scrimmage is by Daniel Greek, who is probably your four-string quarterback right now. But he went out there and made some things happen. And, again, listen, he's not going against the first defense, okay? I mean, we're trying to get – this is the last week of everybody getting, you know, major reps, you know, with, with uh, you know, in scrimmage. But Daniel Greek had a much better day this Saturday than he did the previous Saturday. You know, he had that big pick last time. But, again, he's a freshman. All right, so fourth drive, we go back. Lover titches at quarterback. Ty Cooper gets the sack. 
Rara Thomas, who I thought was the offensive star of the day on Saturday, really has emerged. It's a great option. Probably running with the twos most of the camp. But he'll be in that rotation. You know, Leach likes to get pretty deep when it comes to receivers. He wants to keep those guys fresh. So back-to-back completions to him. And then Lovertich runs it in. It wasn't a, a design quarterback's play, though. It, wasn't a, it was just one of those things where he sees it. He actually started left and then goes back right. So after two picks by your first, your number two and number one quarterback, you come back with your number four and your number two, and you, and you get a couple of rushing touchdowns. But, again, that's just those guys being athletes, kind of making things happen. All right, so we come back, the fifth drive, Will Rogers is a quarterback. We'll complete to Austin Williams. Austin had a couple drops in the first scrimmage, none of that. And it's just kind of like watching Tanner Allen strike out. I mean, you never give up. You think, it's okay. He'll get it figured out. And that's who Austin Williams is, very dependable receiver. Has a nice catch and run there. And then Marks runs back-to-back again for a first down. And this is a play, too, where one of these new wrinkles we're talking about. You know, it's like we're basically running an option-style play where Rodgers kind of gets outside of the tackle left, and then as the defensive end takes him, he pitches it out to Mark. So, nice run there. Dylan Johnson uh, runs between tackles again. Nice game there for a first down. And the, draw, the, draw, the, the drive stalls out a little bit, and uh, we end up kicking a field goal. Brandon Weese head and shoulders the better. Uh, field goal kicker on the team. I don't think there's any question. His job is not – I mean, there's guys out there competing, but Ruiz is the king of that group. All right, sixth drive, Sawyer Robertson comes in. Hits Quentin Torbor, who's also been a nice surprise uh, in camp. There were times I thought he'd be in a transfer portal. So – and that's the thing, too, we start looking at this group. You know, we've got some guys – that are kind of down the depth chart a little bit, but you're also going to see them make some contributions. You're going to wonder, hey, where have these guys been? You know, Nickel and Spurrier are getting everybody ready to play. And, I, and you've seen some guys down the depth chart really challenge, and Torber's one of them. Uh, John Lewis, who didn't play in the last scrimmage, came out and did a couple things. Uh, actually had a quarterback hurry and a TFL in the game. Uh, King Ani, second sack. And, again, that's against a third-team defense, offensive line. A lot of people saying, oh, he should, you know, he ought to be starting. No, but it's good to see him finally begin to make some contributions. You know, he showed up here. That's what people don't understand. You know, he was highly recruited, and he shows up hurt with two major surgeries needed, and he couldn't get them both at the same time. So that first year, you know, he's completely out. He had torn ACL, had a shoulder problem. Well, then last year, then he kind of gets going again. Then he you know, has a hamstring injury, and then, uh, you know, had some other issues off the field he had to deal with. And so this is really just – it's year three, but it's really year one. But if you look at him physically, he's a different player. There's no question about it. He is absolutely a different player. Jay Hampton, our true freshman, cornerback, uh, late addition from Amory High School, makes a nice pick there. And, uh, again, it's good – the thing that I noticed, too, is there were a lot of names on defense that aren't ordinarily mentioned. You know, you, you know what to expect, you know, with Aaron Brule, and you kind of know what Jaden Crumberty's going to do. You feel like you know what, uh, you know, Martin Emerson and, and Emmanuel Forbes are going to do. But there were a lot of other names that were in the box score this past weekend, and that's encouraging because it makes you realize that we're building some, some true depth. And there were a lot of guys out there that made some big plays, and it really kind of surprises you a little bit. Like, wow, okay, all right, cool. Let's get it going. Because you know what we have in that first-team defense. I think everybody feels like, you know what, we can feel pretty secure 
with the first-team defense. I think we're in a situation now when we start feeling better about some of this depth, too. All right, Sawyer Robertson, we mentioned that one. So, uh, Rodgers back at QB. Ty Wheat gets a sack. He had two on the day. And here's the thing, too. They can't block Tyrus Wheat. And, and that's not an indictment on the offensive line. Ty Wheat has, has elevated his game. I can't wait for you guys to see this guy play. Because when it gets to be, you know, third and long, it's a predictable passing down. When that guy gets downhill on you, it's trouble. It's trouble. And people forget, too, you know, he was a safety his first year at Cole Lynn. He grew his way into a linebacker and really just kind of learning to play the game at that position. But you got a, you know, former safety that's added linebacker bulk, and he got here and he was actually a little bit heavy. When you see him now compared to what he was last year, you're going to be impressed. The guy can really play. And talking to some of our, our coaches, you know, Ty Wheat's the guy they look at. Like on the offensive side of the football, they always pay attention to where he is. Because they know this is a guy that can win an individual matchup. You double-team him, he opens up something for somebody else. Uh, Makai Polk had a couple of touchdowns. One of them was called back. One of them is on this drive. And I thought this is when – I think Will Rogers you know, kind of got – said, okay, okay, enough, let's go. You know, Will has a 30-yard touchdown pass there. And then he comes back and hits Caleb Ducking for another touchdown. Because they just basically – we scored so quickly – they just went back and placed the ball again. So, it's, it, you know, it's, it's about making sure you get enough practice reps. It's not like, okay, they scored, so let's just go ahead and move on. It's just, you know, they're going to get the, the things done. Uh, Caleb Ducking, and, and the Caleb Ducking guy, too, if you look at him, you say, man, this guy to be an All-American. Absolutely. He's just got to find some consistency. And my hope is now that he's had some success in some of these scrimmages, that will translate to the field. But he is a guy, too, when, when he walks out there and he gets the lines up in the formation, he is going to be a walking mismatch. It's just going to be a, a, sim, a simple matter of can he complete the play. Because sometimes he'll make a catch and you look at it and you're like, wow. And then the next time, you like, I wish he'd had a little better effort there. I wish he could have pulled that one in. So he's got to be more consistent. I think Makai Polk has probably been the most consistent of the receivers outside of Austin Williams. Austin doesn't make the plays down the field like maybe Makai Polk does, but when the ball is thrown in his direction, he takes ownership. And I still think Makai Polk, number 10, that's a guy after a couple weeks, everybody's going to be like, holy smokes, look what Mississippi State's got. All right, Lovertich back for the eighth drive, and King Ani gets another sack. And again, it's against a third-team offensive line. He hits Ra-Ra for a nice gain. And then Kyle Cass, 70-yard interception for a touchdown. That's a guy we haven't even talked about. I mean, since he got here, we barely even talked about that guy. And, again, he's down the depth chart, probably a special teams guy, but it's good to see him make some plays. Nick Mitchell, probably the play of the day defensively. They bring Simeon Price on a crossing route. Nick Mitchell gets there right as the ball does, pops him in the chest, and then everybody on the defense ran on the field. Everybody. It was one of those plays. It fired up everybody. I mean, if if you hit like if you were at home watching this, you you go grab your cowbell. Even even though you know they can't hear you, that that was it was an impressive play. Nick Mitchell is again quietly having a good camp too. Doesn't get as many reps, but you see that guy out there physically, and you see how he kind of plots a course to ball carries, and you can see he gets it. I think he is a guy again, and probably not going to play a whole lot this year. But when you start looking at, you know, our defensive wins last year on a recruiting trail, I think he is one. You know, early on, a lot of people said, oh, you know, we're flipping this kid from Temple. 
What does this mean? Well, the kid can play. And again, you know, we kind of like these blue-collar, you know, chip-on-your-shoulder type linebackers anyway. You know, we like those guys as junkyard dogs, and that's what Nick Mitchell is. But when he when he hit Simeon Price, and Simeon got right back up to his credit. It was a big leg, but you know, he just got up and got moving. It's football, right? But then Colin Duncan and everybody, everybody's running out there. And it really fired everybody up on both sides of the football. You know, offensively, you never want to see your guy get laid out there. But, um, but yeah, I, mean, I think it reminds everybody, hey, it's a football game. But the defense, didn't see those guys. You got to think, I mean, Colin Duncan and those guys, they don't really know this kid. He's been here a couple months. But he's a bulldog. And so they're beginning to realize, hey, we got some of these young pups who are going to be to help us a little bit. So it's worth getting fired up about. It was great. I mean, it really was. And I think it's one of those things, too, is we're getting closer to a ball game. You're starting to see the emotional investment kind of ramp up a little bit, too. And then uh, Rodgers back at quarterback and uh, complete to Wiley. And then Austin Williams makes a nice catch and run. Outran a couple guys to the end zone, kind of, you know, tiptoed down the sidelines. But, um, yeah, it's, I, I think a lot of people see these numbers and they think, oh, you know, well, Steve, I don't understand. You know, Will Rogers, if, if memory serves me correct, I think he had four series. He had four. And um, so you have, of those four, he puts together uh, three scoring drives. I think that's right. Yeah, three. Three scoring drives of his four. And then the one that he did, and they threw a pick six on. And so a lot of people, oh, look at the numbers, look at this. Do we finish drives or not? Those are the things that I look at. And not to mention, too, here's the thing, too. You know, there's things they want to work on. There's plays they want to run. So you're not necessarily just attacking the defense to go score. This is practice. And so you're like, hey, guys, let's go run this. Let's make sure we've got this play down. Now, you may not call that play in that same situation in a real game because maybe perhaps you've exploited a mismatch. And so I think, again, you take a lot of these statistics, you know, with a grain of salt. Because sometimes I think we forget that it's practice. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
Uh, Jacoby Moore is out there. We've talked about him a little bit on the show. He is uh, he has basically what is considered a provisional clearance. So he's been admitted. He's in class. He's participating and uh, will be able to practice. He's going through that acclimatization process right now that lasts about a week. Antonio Harmon was out there with him too. Now, Antonio is a guy that's basically been walking around with a uh, weight vest on. Uh, I believe he had a little shoulder cleanup procedure, if I'm not mistaken. But he's been limited in camp. But they were both dressed and uh, working out together under the supervision of one of the uh, strength and conditioning coaches during the scrimmage on Saturday. Now, the guys that are injured, and I don't mean seriously injured, you know, but guys that are not cleared for contact, those guys have things they have to do. You know, like they like Aaron Odom is a guy that um, has been limited throughout fall camp. But then they, there he is during a scrimmage. You know, he's walking steps, walking the stadium. He's not just on the sidelines watching the game. He's still getting some work in. And so a couple of weeks ago, we had Landon Gidry and uh, John Lewis and Aaron Odom and a couple others out there doing that. It was a much smaller group. And then Jacoby Moore and Antonio Harmon weren't with that group. They had their jerseys on. Uh, they had uh, pants on, their uh, football pants. I mean, everybody has pants on out there at practice. Don't get me wrong. But they weren't out there in street clothes, is my point. And so they were kind of separate from that group that's con- considered the pit group, you know, guys that are not cleared for contact. So it, what appears to me is Antonio Harmon might be cleared to practice soon. If he is going through this acclimatization process with Jacoby Moore, then they're getting him ready to practice. Because what the NCAA mandates is before you start full contact, you know, you're out there in shells and spider pads and that sort of stuff, you know, for a couple days. And then you can add your regular shoulder pads, but you're still not cleared for contact. And so there's a week, including a day off. So you get six work days and a day off before you're cleared to be a full participant in practice. And I just, that's just one of those things that I noticed is that Antonio Harmon was with Moore. And so why would he be with Moore if Moore is getting ready to, to acclimate to join the practices if Antonio Harmon is not expected to be cleared sooner rather than later then he would have been up walking the stands with Aaron Odom and the other guys so just again not that I expect Antonio to make a big contribution this year but I do think we'll see him cleared for practice here in the days ahead and I'm actually going to ask that question uh you know when we get a chance to talk to Mike Leach again uh once it looks like Jacoby and those guys are ready to go and that's big too because it's not just it's not just okay they're not going to play this year but you need these guys to get these practice reps, whether it be on the scout team or whatever, because that's what's going to happen this week. But, you know, you don't need those guys just kind of sitting around. You never know when you may need him to play. I mean, a guy may get injured, and all of a sudden you got to put him out there. And so you, he's got to get up to speed. And so this week is the mock week, mock game week, and you'll probably see the hashtag out there. I think I saw Brittany Thackeray already use it. So basically it's a dress rehearsal this week. We're going to go through a typical game week, this is when our meetings are. This is when this is. This is reporting times. This is what we do on this day. We do a walkthrough. And so it's basically a dress rehearsal this week. So next week, we've already got all the kinks worked out. Because it's not just about the players. I mean, you know, you've got other people, too. you got support staff and people like that. And so it's like, let's go ahead and find out where the awards are this week so we can fix them next week when it matters. So I like it. I think it makes perfect sense. I think Mike Leach knows exactly what he's doing. One of the questions a lot of people ask, and I understand it, they say, hey, Steve, how much are we seeing the drop eight 
in practice. Well, we're not seeing it a whole lot yet. And we're seeing it in drills, but we're not seeing it when, the, when there are team drills and it's a scrimmage. Zach Arnett and his defense are running their scheme. We're not going to waste their practice reps running defensive philosophies that they're not going to run in season. It makes no sense. So starting this week, because you know, the, the, the two deep is now set, the scouting teams have all been uh, figured out. Everybody will get their assignments today. So then the scout team is coached by the GAs. Those guys will start running the drop eight. Everything that we expect to see from Louisiana Tech, they're going to run that in practice for the next two weeks. And so you'll have a chance to go out there, where do I sit in the zone? What do I do here? How do I attack that? You know, that sort of stuff. And so that's what they'll see. So they're going to have, again, they've, they've done it in drills. They haven't really done it in a team concept so far. But they're going to do it the next two weeks. So I know a lot of you guys are curious about that because you say, well, what, what did we do? How do we practice against it? This is how. And I think it's important to understand, too, uh, Arkansas didn't invent rushing three and dropping eight. It's not like this is something that's a novel concept of the Southeastern Conference. Mike Leach has seen all this before. And, again, I'm not going to make excuses for last season. But at the same time, too, nobody knew K.J. Costello was going to have the struggles that he had or the injuries that he had. After we went out there and beat LSU, even though K.J. turned it over three times, you know, I think that made us give us all kind of a false sense of security. LSU decides you're going to go out there and run man so they can bring more pressure, and all of a sudden we absolutely destroy them. And we thought, hey, K.J. Costello, even though we turned it over three times personally, we won this game by a couple scores and probably should have blown them out at their place. And then who knew? And then I think Arkansas and those people realized, you know what, hey, we don't have the athletes to run man-to-man coverage. If LSU can't do it, we can't do it. So give Barry Odom credit. He ran a good scheme. And K.J. struggled to read the defense, forced the football. I mean, go back and watch some of those games. And sometimes he just throws it up for grabs. He's like, I'm just going to lay it out here like my guy go make a play. And then the play doesn't get made. Next thing you know, it's running back the other way. And so he, he struggled to read defenses. And he wasn't patient. Will Rogers was able to do that, but it took some time. Halfway through the year, everybody's claiming, let's go with Rogers, let's go with Rogers. And then, you know, he had a tough game in Kentucky. But he's better for the experience today. And so, yeah, trust me, Mike Leach is well aware of the fact that we're going to see eight man coverages, which is what Washington ran a lot against Washington State. And Washington held the better part of the rivalry. And so, I think some of the innovation in the play calling you're going to see too. We mentioned some quarterback runs and that sort of stuff. But I also think one of the things that's going to make this offense much better this year is the emergence of Jaquavius Marks and Dylan Johnson. Yeah, they were good last year, but they were also kind of swimming. Yeah, they were doing the best they could. Marks, bigger and stronger. Dylan Johnson, a little bit thinner and quicker. I think the running backs are going to get those guys out of that zone. It's like when all of a sudden they're running an eight-man zone and you can flare it out there to Jaquavius Marks and – he runs through an arm tackle. Next thing you know, it's a 20-yard gain. Well, we better do something. So that's how you get it out of them. You get those running backs involved. You run the football. Because if everybody's dropping eight and they're rushing three, uh, it's pretty easy to run that trap play on the inside there for, for gains. So I, I think you're going to see a lot more of that this year. But, again, we, we hired Mike Leach to run the air raid, not to run the Dan Mullen spread or the Joe Moorhead RPO or the Emory Blard wishbone. I mean, that's just, you know, we're not doing that. We'll let the guy do his thing. But, uh, again, 
again, I thought it was a great scrimmage in the fact that nobody got hurt. I thought it was a great scrimmage in the fact that both sides felt good about things. But I, I would not say either side dominated. I thought the secondary played really well. I thought the receivers competed well. I thought we had some quarterback play at times that was up and down. And that's not just limited to Will Rogers. And, again, you know, you have four drives and three of them end up in touchdowns. So, again, just wait and see how things progress. And, again, and I emphasize this point just because I think it's worth repeating again. It's practice. It's practice. We're trying to get some things settled. We're trying to get some foundational standards and kind of figure out, hey, this is our bread and butter stuff. We're really good at running this. And then this is how we kind of build around it. So, you know, it's not like we're just going out there, okay, well, let's just find a way to go get in the end zone. No, there are plays that we have to implement, make sure that we understand how to run those things before we get in the season. And sometimes they're not successful in practice. Sometimes they're not. All right, let's go to the top ten list. Brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's CloseWithBlair, B-L-A-I-R.com. I've known Blair a long time, great friend of mine. I believe in doing business with Bulldogs whenever I can. And that's exactly who Blair is. He'll take everybody's business. He's, he doesn't discriminate in that respect. But by being a, boy, a Boneyard listener, he's going to give you a little bit of a discount. How about that? That's a cool thing. Not only are you getting well-informed here on this show, you're able to save some money. So if you are looking to refinance your current mortgage or buy a home or perhaps get into a secondary situation, Blair's got to go to. And if you mention that you heard his ad on the Boneyard, you get your appraisal for free. How about that? It's about 300 buck uh, value there. And there's so much going on, you know. And the thing about buying a house, if you've never done it before, it is exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. So why not deal with a mortgage professional that knows how to navigate through that difficulty? Blair Chandler, one of the top 1% loan originators in the mortgage industry in the United States. Worked at Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five mortgage lenders. This is a guy that's been in the business 21 years. He's been there and done that, seen it all, got the bumper sticker, went and got the tattoo, everything. It's, it's not one of those situations where something's going to pop up and he's going to be unfamiliar with. Deal with a mortgage professional, not just a mortgage company. Let me give you Blair's phone number, and f- feel free to share this. Blair is uh, happy for his number to be out there. And, again, he's a guy that's a season ticket holder, has a place here. Very involved with Mississippi State. Phone number 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. All right, so today's top ten list, we're not doing rock today, but we are doing one of the greatest American music icons of all time. How about that? A gentleman that has sold over 100 million records. It's incredible. I saw him for the first time on Sesame Street. How about that? take you back a few years it's stevie wonder now here's the thing about stevie wonder this guy has been involved in the music industry forever and a day so this list you may not agree with and that's okay we're celebrating the music of stevie wonder today my favorites may not be your favorites and that's cool too especially when you've got a guy that has basically been doing this for what 70 years now yeah, what did uh, yeah what finger snaps was that finger snaps parts one and two? He was just a kid. Or fingertips, pardon me. It's incredible. And so, 
when you have a catalog as expansive as Stevie Wonder, there are going to be some songs that are personal favorites that maybe we miss. So please don't angrily message me and say, Steve, how could you? Because there's all, listen, even with the POD last, list last week, I had a couple people that said, I can't believe you didn't pick this one. And you know what? That's part of the fun, right? But there were a couple times, too, I'll miss one. Like, yeah, I missed it. What did I miss with Alan Jackson, Don't Rock a Jukebox, one of the most legendary songs of his catalog? I mean, it happens. I make a mistake. Maybe do your own show. All right, so here's the Stevie Wonder top ten list. And in many ways, this is kind of music of my childhood. And I, I really like the earlier Stevie Wonder stuff the best, like sonically, because it was like a party. Like when you saw like a live Stevie Wonder performance on television, I mean, there's like so many people out there, and you're like, what does that guy do? You know, well, this guy you know plays the bongos, and, and this guy you know plays this and plays that. And it's like there's all these little intricate pieces of this incredible symphony of sound that if it wasn't there, you'd miss it, but you appreciate it because it's there, you know, and it just doesn't seem to be a major thing. And again, it just speaks to the genius of Stevie Wonder. So here we go. Top 10. Here's your honorable mentions. Uh, For once in my life, Sir Duke, um, my Sharia Moore, I can't read my handwriting on this other one. So we'll just kind of move on from that. But, um, but the earlier stuff, you know, songs in the key of life, inner visions, all that stuff, that's, to me, that's the bread and butter of the Stevie Wonder catalog. The stuff that happened later in the 80s when the bigger record companies got involved, the production value might have been better. But I think the true Stevie Wonder sound, you know, are all those things that, you know, started in the beginning. All right, so here we go. Number 10, this was one from the mid-80s, early 80s. It was big popular. Isn't She Lovely? It's a song about a baby being born. It's great. And I remember Dick Clark talking about when they actually recorded a baby being born, that when the baby was born to hear the baby cry, that the baby didn't cry. And so the doctor had to kind of, you know, stimulate the baby to get the baby cry. It's a little insight there you probably didn't expect to hear today. Number nine, and this is a song, too. If, you, if you're familiar with the classic movie, New Jack City, if you don't know New Jack City, you need to watch New Jack City. An incredible, incredible movie. I love it. Nino Brown, G-Money, the whole group, Scotty Appleton, everybody involved. At the beginning of this movie, Levert, who was a huge R&B band at the time, is standing around a fire barrel and they're covering Stevie Wonder's song Living for the City. Just harmonizing. It's their version is great. The original one is better, of course. But again, this goes back to the beginning of the Stevie Wonder catalog. Uh, number eight, You Are the Sunshine of My Life. Very authentic. And to hear Stevie Wonder's soulful sounds over the top of it, it just, you know, it, it just simply works. I, I, don't, I know a lot of people have got covered Stevie Wonder. There's just some songs that you don't, just don't mess with. I mean, I know a lot of people do it in tribute and that sort of stuff, and I get it. But this is one of those ones that I think it's just better, probably best left alone. Number seven, also from the 80s, you know, kind of radio era, part-time lover. This was a big, big hit for, for Stevie now, vocally, I think it's a really good song for him, too. You know, I think he really kind of found a groove at times in the 80s, uh, sonically, especially on the vocal side of things. And some of that had to do with the production value. Because to be honest with you, when I go back and listen to those earlier albums, 
I just think the record company didn't truly invest in, in Stevie Wonder. And some of that, too, you'd say, well, you know, Steve, technology wasn't the same. Yeah, it's true, but there's some other artists out there that clearly got a better investment from a studio and, and production value. And so I, I love to hear the remastered stuff, but, you know, in the 80s, the record companies really invested in Stevie Wonder, and Part-Time Lover was a big part of that. Number six, this is a song that was actually written in, during the AIDS crisis. And if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I want to say Stevie Wonder donated all the proceeds for this song uh, to AIDS research, and that's that's what Friends Are For. And Dionne Warwick is on the song, and uh, but it's it was a song that was everywhere. I mean, and it was parodied, and everybody sang it, and that sort of stuff. But um, that's what Friends Are For kind of showed the you know, I guess kind of the tender side of Stevie Wonder in many respects too for a lot of people that were really suffering at the time. Number five, another song that was covered. The Red Hot Chili Peppers covered this one. It's on the Mother's Milk album, but it's higher ground. And again, I go back to the classic Stevie Wonder sound. When you go back and listen to those earlier albums, again, we talk about how busy and how layered it all is. I think higher ground is a great representative of that, that line of thinking. I mean, the synth part on it, the bass line on this is incredible. And I love... I love the backing vocals on this one too number four one of the shorter songs in the catalog and everybody's heard this song and i think some people you don't even know who it's from because stevie wonder wrote a lot of songs for a lot of other people you know like tell me something good let's get serious you've heard those from other people shaka khan other people stevie wonder wrote those an incredible songwriter but this one is signed sealed delivered i'm yours or i'm yours is how he says it but again earlier part of the catalog and it just jams it's just one of those songs that you put on the radio and you can't help but sing along to it there's no question and I, i've been able to make out my handwriting for the one i missed because I, I i almost put it on the list but it's overjoyed overjoyed's one of your honorable mentions because scotty scotty stevie was also a tremendous balladeer and i believe that the best Bowed that he ever wrote and performed. It's a song called Knocks Me Off My Feet. And it's one of those things that starts with a piano and it builds and builds and builds. And by the end of the song, you're on your feet. It's just a tremendous song. Number two, this is another song that it was everywhere when it was released when I was a kid. And the sentiment behind it is very good. But again, you know, I guess the ultimate compliment is when people begin to parody your work. But it's, I just called to say I love you. And it seemed like they, these shirts were everywhere. And it just there was a, it was a negative time in the world. You know, we were still fighting the Cold War. And it was just some positivity. And there was so much negativity in the world. And there is today, too. And maybe perhaps this song needs to make the rounds again. It's to kind of remind people that a lot of this stuff, that it's one of the things I learned in AA, is that you know 95% of the things that people get mad about aren't their business. If you need proof of that, go to Facebook right now or Twitter, especially Twitter. It's a cesspool at times. But I just called to say I love you, which is one of those songs. It's like, you know, the only reason I called you is to remind you that I love you and that you're important to me, and we should probably all make more phone calls like that. Number one, though, and again, a song that's been covered, but it's not nearly as good as the original. I know there's a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan fans that listen to this show, but it's Superstition. Number one Stevie Wonder song, and again, you turn on those live performances and it just looks like a party that you want to be invited to, but you weren't. But you watch it and it's just incredible. 
to watch it all kind of come together. And I mentioned on the show here recently that some people use horns and they don't work. Stevie Wonder understood it. And this is a great example of that. The horns, like when the horns come in on Superstition, it's like, you know, you start with that funky bass line and next thing you know, the horns come in. It's incredible. I love the song. I love everything about it. It's one of the greatest songs ever written and performed. I, I th- when I, the first song I think of when I hear Stevie Wonder is Superstition. And again, I go back to, I gravitate more towards those funky days in the beginning. I think to me, that's the, the best of the Stevie Wonder catalog. And I think you guys will too. Go back and check them out yourself. I'll be, you'll be glad you did. I don't think there's any question about that. I think that uh, there are a lot of you that maybe perhaps, maybe you've heard some of these songs and you think, well, you know, I don't know if I want to delve into that. Yes, you do. You owe it to yourself to give it a chance. And if, I, if, it, if it were me, I would probably start with Intervisions. Now, maybe Talking Book. Maybe go Talking Book, Intervisions, and then Songs in the Key of Life. I think that's probably where I would start. And then you can kind of go from there. But I think those three albums are probably the building blocks for what we saw in 80s popular music and 80s R&B. I think that really paved the way for all of it. I don't think there's any question that uh, Stevie Wonder is a musical genius, is a songwriter, is a performer, and then people realize that he's blind. But it's like when you hear him play and you see him play, all that comes secondary. It's not, hey, look at the guy. He's a blind guy. No, it's like that's Stevie Wonder. This guy is an absolute genius. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out let me know. I can't remember who requested Stevie Wonder. You know, Roy's got this list together, and some of these have been kind of hanging around for a while, so I'm trying to knock some of these off. But if you want to get on the list, reach out to me or Roy. But I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Send me your idea. I just might use it. Next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookmart.net. Campus Bookmart, great people, great product, great prices, impeccable service. You can go by and see Stan and Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, who gets lovelier by the day, Cheyenne, Cindy, the whole crew there. They'll take care of you. You need to outfit the family in Mississippi State merch. And then maybe if you don't have somebody that buys for you, buy for yourself. Treat yourself to some new Mississippi State merchandise today. A lot of cool stuff. And you can never have enough College World Series shirts. I wore my uh, Superdog shirt yesterday. How about that? If you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net and by being a loyal Boneyard listener we'll give you a phrase that pays and that is BSR which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson and that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks any order less than 50 bucks absolutely incomplete again that's campusbookmart.net promo code BSR you know we're kind of running out of shows to preview future opponents so we're going to knock these out pretty quickly as you know, we, uh, we talked about LSU recently. We talked about A&M. We're going to talk about Alabama today. And you say, well, Steve, just, uh, say they're going to be great and kind of move on. And here's the thing that I think is important to understand. We talk a lot about culture, and Alabama football has that. They didn't always have it. They got it now. And it kind of runs like a sewing machine, you know. Alabama, of course, the, uh, what, sixth game of the year for us. I believe that's right. Um. Yeah, sixth game of the year. So, 
we can talk about, oh, well, this guy left and that guy left and this assistant coach got a promotion. But, guys, it's Nick Saban. Nick Saban is the voice of Alabama football, and you don't need me to tell you that. You know, assistant coaches don't deal with the media. Steve Sarkeesian left, uh, went to the University of Texas. That's a big job, too. The University of Texas is a huge job. And good for Sark. I hope it works out for him. Absolutely do. But, you know, every time you turn around, you're like, oh, it's the media's like, oh, it's finally going to catch up with them. They've had all this turnover on the staff, and this guy left. Guys, it's a machine now. It's a football factory over there. I don't understand all these people. It's, I'll get all these notifications. I apologize for that. But, uh, you know, as long as Nick Saban is at Alabama, Alabama's going to be great. And they're going to have some years where the schedule flips on them a little bit, you know, and they got to go on the road and play some difficult games. But Alabama's road record's been absolutely ridiculous the last few years, too. You know, Auburn gets them occasionally, right? But let's go ahead and look at what Alabama has returning. You know, and, and again, they lost a lot. How many people thought they would take a step back last year with Mac Jones at quarterback? I, I did. I, I did. They lost some NFL receivers. So you didn't have quite as many to throw. And I didn't know that Mac Jones would be able to extend plays and make, you know, make things happen like the way Tua did. Just wasn't the same athlete. Ends up being a first-round draft pick. You lose Devontae Smith, Heisman winner. Uh, Jalen Waddell, a freak. Najee Harris, now Pittsburgh Steelers. And you got to kind of rebuild the uh, offensive line. So could we see some issues with the offense early? Yeah, probably so. Yeah, you got a, you got a lot of moving pieces there, you know. Change the new play caller. You bring in Bill O'Brien, a guy that knows how to develop quarterbacks. It's just one of those things you look at and you begin to think, okay, it's a plug-and-play system. Yeah, at some point there's going to be some bumps in the road. Probably could be some things earlier in the year. It's not going to be a big problem, though. Bryce Young expected to be the quarterback. And let me just go ahead and tell you guys this. I don't believe any of this talk about the million-dollar endorsement things. I, I, don't, I don't believe any of that. I don't think Nick Saban would be involved in that anyway. I don't mean that because it's shady. I'm just saying that he wouldn't be out there negotiating deals or even, I think, be privy to that information. I think he probably just had somebody tell him maybe there's the potential to make that kind of money. But nobody's paying that kind of money for a backup quarterback. The guy that's never started a game. And he said, well, Steve, it's Alabama. I get it, but, he, but he's already there. It's not like you're having to recruit him. He's already there. And I think some of that talk, actually, this talk about, hey, look at what he's done. Look at the potential money he's got to make. There, there's a method to the madness. When Saban puts that out there, you don't think every recruit that's considered an Alabama and LSU consider, hey, well, listen, I go to Alabama and make a million bucks. There's always an angle. Always an angle. There's no question about it. So, yeah, Bryce Young's the guy. Not as big as Mac or Tua, but he's a guy that's very, very talented. So we'll see. We'll see how things kind of progress with them. But, I, you know, I, I could see them not being Alabama. I know it's, it's kind of like one of those things you look at. It's almost like you just kind of rubber stamp it and say, okay, we'll put Alabama to win the West. I don't, I don't, we'll see. We'll see. So Brian Robinson, running back, Jason McClellan, those guys, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with them. Roydell Williams. There are a lot of guys out there. Alabama's always been able to recruit running backs. It's not one of those situations where everybody feels like, oh, well, this guy, they've lost a the first-round draft pick. You don't get better. When you recruit at the level they do, 
with the machine that they use, they're always going to have skill position players. Now, defensively, they lost some dudes, but as long as Saban is there, they're always going to have some dudes. Dylan Moses is finally gone. We've been hearing about that kid since he was like in the eighth grade. An absolute star. Christian Harris should have a big year for them, for sure. Christian Christopher Allen's another guy. Will Anderson's a guy that was really solid last year. And then you throw in Henry Toto coming in from Tennessee. Yeah, the rich get richer, right? And that's the thing I go back to, too. There were so many people that were just adamant that the SEC wasn't going to cave on the in-conference transfer rule. I don't think they had a choice because if the ACC and the Big 12 and everybody else is like, hey, we're going to let guys transfer within conference and play immediately, well, now all of a sudden if you're a guy like – let's say that you go to Alabama and you're a second teamer, you can say, you know what, I I would love to transfer to Mississippi State and play close to home, but i got to sit a year, so I'm just going to go to North Carolina or I'm just going to go to Louisville. You know, that's just part of the deal. It puts you at a competitive disadvantage from a recruiting standpoint when guys know – they can go somewhere else and play immediately and they have to come sit with you. So I don't think that was the SEC had any choice. Uh, let's see here. They do lose a little bit up front. Um, you know, LeBron Ray is a guy that Mississippi State recruited. Never really got anywhere with him. You know, he, I think he took a uh, unofficial visit over here in the early stages of his recruitment before Alabama got really serious around him. Uh, Tim Smith, another guy too that will be interesting. Uh, Federig and Mathis. Another guy that can uh, yeah, they can move the pile a little bit. So Malachi Moore is probably a guy that uh, will be a first-round draft pick, potentially, in the Alabama secondary. Uh, Jordan Battle, another guy that gets up there and makes plays. So, you know, the names change, but the train just kind of keeps moving along, right? So, you know, it's going to be a difficult game no matter how we slice it. But uh, I could see Alabama not making a playoff. I know uh, – that, that sounds a little bit silly, but I think they're going to lose a game they're not supposed to. Now, is there anybody else in the West that can truly contend to to put some pressure on them where, where one to two losses matter? You know, Alabama could go 10-2 and two and still win the SEC West and then go win the SEC championship game and be right there in the thick of things because of the fact that the, uh, the teams still play will be ranked very high in the FBS playoff rankings. And so – I just think that Georgia is probably the cream of the crop in the SEC this year, but Alabama is not bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's not what I'm trying to suggest. But I just I don't know that Alabama can beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. And speaking of who Alabama can beat, let's run down the schedule here real quick. I give them a lot of credit for scheduling hard early. They're going to play Miami and Atlanta, Georgia. And some would say, hey, well, that's not fair. You know, they're getting to play in Atlanta. You know, they'll get a chance to play in the venue that uh, the SEC Championship game is played in. But it's um, it's a good early matchup. I just don't think Miami has the horses. Could be an entertaining game for a while. I just, you know, unless Alabama just has some real big warts on offense that we don't know about. And, and you know Manny Diaz is going to dial up some exotic pressures to can confuse a young quarterback. I think Miami probably needs to win the turnover battle by like a plus two to have a chance in this ball game, But I like Alabama to win it. Alabama will open their home portion of their schedule at home against Mercer. That'll be an absolute bloodletting. Then they travel to the Swamp. 
Now, based on what we know about Dan Mullen, I think we can go ahead and pencil in a win for Alabama there. It will be interesting to see what Ty Grantham does defensively. You know, George, Florida didn't have a lot of dudes last year on defense. So what happens this year? You know, how well do they recruit? How, how well do the guys acclimate and kind of get on board and buy in their system? You know, Grantham is a guy, obviously, that will bring some heat. And with a young quarterback, I think it's interesting, too. You look at the two of the first three ball games. You're going to play against two of the most blitz-happy coordinators on your schedule. It'll be a good uh, film study for Zach Arnett, right, to be able to watch all that and kind of see everybody else attacks that offense and then how Alabama blocks up those blitz packages. The return to Tuscaloosa, September 25th, Southern Miss. Probably good to have USM back on the schedule. Then they get Ole Miss, October the 2nd. I know some people are saying, oh, it's a big game. No, it's not. It absolutely isn't. Because Alabama is going to run the football. And Ole Miss can't stop the run. And then Alabama is going to run the football. And run the football. And run the football. And it's in Bryant-Denny. Not to say that Ole Miss won't be good offensively. They're going to be dreadful on defense again. So dreadful they've even shut media out of practice. How about that? Well, unhappy, according to one media uh, media source that covers Ole Miss. They run happy with some of the coverage about their defense in the first scrimmage. So they said, well, we just won't let you watch. You know, the best way to avoid bad press about your bad defense is to fix your defense, not to shut people out of practice. Put your head in the sand if you want to. All right, Alabama will go to A&M October 9th. I just don't know if A&M is going to have the quarterback play to pull this thing off, but you know what? We don't know if Alabama is going to be able to do it either. So that will be awfully interesting. As much as uh, I don't think State beats Alabama this year, you know, I don't think any, anybody could ever pick it. I like where we're positioned on their schedule. They go to A&M. The next week they come to Starkville, and then they host Tennessee. Now, I don't think Tennessee is going to be a great team. I do think Tennessee will do enough, because it is a rivalry game, to get their attention. So, could it be a trap game? Maybe. But I like where State's positioned. Because that A&M game, I think, is going to be a big one for Alabama. We'll see what happens. After the Tennessee game, they host LSU. Uh, it'll be the first time that they have hosted LSU since the um, since the uh, the roll tide. You know what comment from Ed Orgeron when Ed was feeling his oats? And again, I don't fault the guy for saying that. I fault the kid for putting it out there. I don't think Ed really cares. But um, Alabama last year against LSU could have scored as many points as they wanted to. November thirteenth, they get a break in the schedule. New Mexico State comes in. They get Arkansas and then travel to Auburn. You look at this, I mean, you know, there's not a home game on here you look at and say, you know what, hey, this is this is a difficult one. I think the home schedule is incredibly favorable. The road schedule, much different. And, again, they open up on a neutral side against Miami. you got to travel to the Swamp. you got to travel to Kyle Field. you got to travel to us. And you got to travel to Auburn. That's not a great schedule on the road if you're Alabama. You say, well, you know, Steve, you're still Alabama. It's true, but, you know, at some point the youth catches up a little bit, and, again, maybe it's not enough to force a bad season. But, you know, you could have a bad loss in there somewhere 
and I think it'll come on the road. But again, it's Alabama. They'll figure it out. They always have dudes. There's a bunch of dudes we haven't even met yet. You know, it's just, uh, you know, they just kind of reload, and it's kind of the life we're living in. And, and probably, you know, until uh, Nick Saban retires, I'm sure he'll probably hold a stranglehold on the SEC for a while. I mean, this is the greatest coach in the history of the college game. And we're, and we're fortunate enough to live through this era, right? I mean, it's like as great as it is and as much as we want Mississippi State to win, it's still kind of awesome to say, you know what, we're living through this and seeing this up close and personal. It's phenomenal. On the flip side of the schedule, too, uh, I, I talked about how I like where State is positioned. State gets an off week before Alabama, and then the next week they're at Vanderbilt. So they will get our best shot. They will get probably our best wrinkles that we can add throughout the course of the season. And, of course, we're kind of laying in there as a little bit of a trap game. So, again, not picking State to win the ball game. But I, I, I think it pro- could prove to be a little more competitive than other people expect, especially when, you know, we get two weeks to prepare. So we'll see how things grow. We'll see how it goes. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Portico. Great friends. Let me tell you this. Brooks Bryan's a guy that loves Mississippi State, loves Starkville. He's committed to this area, wants to make Mississippi State a better place to attend and Starkville a better place to live. Part of a great group of folks that have brought a great residential development right here for you. It's Portico. It's very easy to get to. You turn off of 82 onto 12, and it's the very first right there. It's Pat Station Road. You go a very, very short distance, and then you cross over all West Point Road, and there it is, Portico. If you're looking to move to Starkville, you absolutely should give Portico an opportunity. If I was moving to Starkville now, it's where I would move. It's because I want to be close to campus. It's 1.1 miles away from campus. But you're on the backside of campus. You're on that neighborhood market side of campus, right? And so you're not in the hustle and bustle, but you're close enough for convenience. It's absolutely perfect place to live. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath home, up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, whatever you want, walking trail, everything. Brooks Bryan's happy to answer your questions. I think you should give him a call. And there's always that one person in the family that's maybe more sold on coming here. Get some ammunition for your next debate with your significant other. Give Brooks a call today, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601 601- 416-8075. Make Portico your next move. I've had a lot of feedback about this Portico segment. A lot of people are enjoying the history lesson. I enjoy talking about this stuff. I enjoy learning about these things. Discussed uh, McCool Hall with my daughters over dinner last night. They didn't know either. I think it's an important thing that we know our history and we respect our history. I want to speak today about a guy I mentioned on the show we want to get a lot more in depth with William Dean Chadwick some people called him Billy the players all called him Chad now here's what's interesting and and Billy Chadwick lived an interesting life he absolutely did and uh, tragically his life ended very prematurely but he was born in Ohio Ended up playing, uh, you know, football at uh, his alma mater there at Marietta College. 
got into coaching uh, back in the early 1900s, was at Albion College for the 1906 season, and then Mississippi State hired him. And not only did he coach football, there was one stretch there where Chadwick was the athletic director, the football coach, the baseball coach, and the basketball coach. Let that sink in just for a second there. How about how far college athletics has come? And, you know, maybe we made a hire, you know, because of the fact that, you know, he was a guy, you know, up there coaching in Tennessee. And maybe he was a guy that uh, we looked at and said, you know what, this guy's uh, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a Mississippi State thing to do. Maybe we can save a little money here. But he comes in, coaches the football team, 1909 to 1913. And then he leads Mississippi State, A&M at the time, to our first ever bowl appearance in 1912, the Bacardi Bowl. Sadly, Chadwick didn't make the trip to Cuba to play in that ball game because we had a player, Levi Gaston Bass, who died after he developed meningitis after an injury suffered on the football field. And so Chadwick felt it was best that he stay behind and attend the funeral while the rest of the team went down there, and they won a ball game, 12 nothing. Interesting note, too, that that was the last ball game that there were five-point touchdowns in college. You didn't know that? Yeah, it's true. They went to six points the next year. So Mississippi A&M, the last team to ever score a five-point touchdown. In addition to his work with Mississippi State football, he had a great run as our baseball coach and actually won two Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Association Championships, our second and third, 1911 and 1918. Was just the second basketball coach in Mississippi State history. Kind of a forgettable stretch, I guess you could say. Just didn't do a whole lot. Of course, we're just kind of establishing a program. But again, it's amazing to think that not only was he your AD, and of course there wasn't a lot of sports back then like, like it is today. I, I, basically, we had four sports back then. You had track and field, football, basketball, baseball. That's what you had. At some point, we had a boxing club too, but that wasn't around when he, when he was there. Um, and so he actually stayed on here after his coaching days were done. He continued to be your athletic director from 1909 to 1930. I guess his final coaching game was uh, after we won the baseball championship in 1918. Of course, there was no NCAA tournament back then. He went upstairs as the athletic department began to grow and just became an administrator. So he stayed there until 1930, and I suspect he would have stayed longer. But he was forced out when we had Governor Theodore Bilbo that made a lot of changes. And he even, Bilbo even threatened to move Ole Miss to Jackson. This is a guy that didn't understand, you know, checks and balances in his power. And so basically what he had done is uh, he, he fired a bunch of people to kind of throw his weight around. And unfortunately, Chadwick was kind of caught up in the middle of all of that. What's interesting is they let him stay on as a teacher, Mississippi A&M, they let him stay on as a teacher at the same salary. And so there, it really wasn't a cost-cutting measure at all you know, by Bilbo because it was a state-funded institution. It was just one of those things where a guy was just, it was an abuse of power. So not only did he make those kind of changes, he changed up the board of trustees for all the schools in the state, fired a bunch of people. 
And uh, what's interesting is Chadwick hung around for a while and then left Mississippi A&M to go to work for the Lamar Life Insurance Company. And sadly, in 1950, he was driving near Raymond, Mississippi, and another driver, very early in the morning, fell asleep at the wheel and sideswiped Chadwick, and sadly, he was lost in the car accident. What's interesting is many of uh, the things that we enjoy today at Mississippi State, facility-wise, Chadwick was a bit of a visionary in many respects. During his time as our athletic director, he worked to improve all the facilities, baseball and football, even constructed the first gym, established the first tennis courts. And despite the fact that he had so many coaching responsibilities, he also taught PE. It's a remarkable man that did a lot for Mississippi A&M. A guy that wanted Mississippi A&M to be competitive and did his best to bring that to bear. Now, some of you would say, well, Steve, I've heard the name Chadwick. Yes, you have. Chadwick Lake, outside the Bryan building, is named in honor of Chadwick. Coach and A.D. Chadwick. He was your football coach from 1909 to 1913, your baseball coach from 1910 to 1918, your basketball coach from 1910 to 1911. The basketball thing he turned over to Earl C. Hayes pretty quickly, pretty quickly. But it's a remarkable man that did a lot for Mississippi State. Had a 36-21-3 football record, 120-72-9 baseball record, and just 2-4 and four in basketball. But when you look at some of the early accomplishments – of the Aggie Athletic Program. William Chadwick is involved in all that stuff. William Dean Chadwick, and again, the players all called him Chad. It's just sad to think that a guy that, that made such a contribution to Mississippi A&M and a guy that was so committed to improving our athletic facilities and giving us a competitive advantage was basically fired for political reasons by the governor's mansion. Not anyone on the Mississippi State campus. We just didn't have a say in it. So that's an absolute shame. So today, we honor you, William Dean Chadwick, and we thank you for your contributions to Mississippi State Athletics. And may we never, ever, 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 ever be ungrateful. You know, Chadwick Lake recently had a bit of a facelift and it's interesting as I began to write, you know, books about Mississippi State history, I you know, kind of came across W.D. Chadwick. And it's just amazing to me to think that a guy had so much responsibility here. And it makes perfect sense that we would name the lake outside of the athletic department after him. And so now you know. Now you know why it's called Chadwick Lake. And may we never, ever, ever forget the contributions that he made. All right, let's uh, spend a little more time to get out of here. And, uh, you know, we got some recruiting stuff coming up. High school football now underway. So we're going to be on the road a little bit more. We'll be out and uh, getting some pictures and some videos, some interviews with some of the guys that you guys are familiar with. Offensive line recruiting, I, I think, is in a pretty good position right now. But uh, Bryson Hurst, longtime Mississippi State target and one-time Mississippi State lean, expected to commit to Ole Miss later this week. Now, he says that he will take – his five official visits, I don't expect that to happen. Now, I think he would ideally like to do that, 
I don't know if I'm Mississippi State if I bring him in uh, if he's committed to Ole Miss. And uh, maybe that's a little bit of theater or something like that. I, I just think you got to let things play out. And I know that there are some people around him that are very pro-Mississippi State. There's also some that are pro-Ole Miss. I don't think that he is leaving the state of Mississippi. But here's the deal. If you're going to take your five visits, and why commit now? If you, I mean, you're the best offensive line prospect in the state of Mississippi. Why commit now? And listen, make no bones about it. If Mississippi State doesn't sign Bryson Hurst, that's a big loss. It is. Now, do I believe that he'll get developed at Ole Miss? No, I don't. I, I don't. And I don't know what his motivation would be to go there, but that appears to be the way that it's trending. But if anybody says, oh, it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. He's a very, very talented player. This is a guy that I think has NFL potential. He's got to commit himself to the weight room, probably get a little bit better shape. This guy can really play. So if anybody out there, like if you read on social media, oh, it's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. That's not to say we can't go out there and find somebody perhaps as comp comparable but you don't want to lose a big in-state battle you know in a position of need for a guy that has NFL potential in your home state just doesn't it shouldn't work that way in state and Ole Miss both they're uh, getting some talented in-state players but this is one you know hey state won some big battles early this is one that uh, this would be a big big get for Ole Miss I mean they got Xavier Harris another former Mississippi State lean and so yeah you, you tip your cap a little bit too but at the same time you got to find a way to get this kid on campus. You know, we had the, the whole situation where Ole Miss was working hard to prevent him from visiting Mississippi State uh, before the dead period began. He ended up going to both places, was, ex was talking about committing when he went up there. That was the, the kind of the scuttlebutt, oh, he's going to come to Ole Miss and commit back on, at the end of July. You survived that weekend, and you think, okay, we're all right. Well, then we're going to announce August 25th, and you think, well, okay, this doesn't favor us because after State had the momentum, Ole Miss kind of really got involved there. And listen, you got to give Ole Miss some credit for one reason or another by hook or by crook. They're doing a good job recruiting the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Larry Simmons, of course, out of Moss Point, the best receiver prospect in the state of Mississippi, committed to Ole Miss very early on. And while he has taken a few trips and that sort of stuff, there's not a lot of wiggle room in that thing. Don't, don't, don't get emotionally invested in that thing. He's going to Ole Miss. Just, I mean, I'll be absolutely shocked if that doesn't happen. I know he's been on the Mississippi State campus a couple times. Uh, I just don't know in the, at the end of the day if it ends up being his decision. Uh, but I fully expect him to go to Ole Miss. And then all of a sudden you get, you know, Bryson Hurst. And even though you've had some Mississippi State commitments and players kind of be involved with him and encourage him to come to Mississippi State. And, and back in June, he wanted to commit to Mississippi State. And his uh, stepdad, I, I, I may be wrong with the label there, but, uh, you know, basically said hey before you do anything you need to let your mom see these places and you know what that's fair and I know the fan in us says oh man we should let him commit but you know what the mom needs to know and so since that time some things have changed and so I do believe Ole Miss has the momentum in that situation it doesn't mean that things can't change between uh, now and signing day but I do think when Wednesday comes that he will go ahead uh, and commit to Ole Miss and I've changed my crystal ball pick over the 247 sports to kind of reflect uh, that line of thinking. I don't think you give up on him, but at the same time, too, it's like, how do things change that rapidly? He comes here in June. He's ready to commit. And he had actually talked about committing back during the spring months. And he comes here in June, has a good time. He's around all the other guys. They're having a good time out there at camp. Some of the, four, the current players are there. I'm ready to commit. Well, let's wait and come back. Okay, mom can come back later in the month. And then that doesn't happen. 
And then all of a sudden we tend to get some reports that, okay, well, Ole Miss has the momentum in his recruitment. And then it looks like they're going to get him, and then all of a sudden he goes here and there, and the mom wanted to come here. And, and I've read some reports, too, from people who aren't here that say, oh, yeah, he went to Mississippi State, and it was just kind of a token thing. No, no, the whole family was with him. And, again, this is the mom trying to do her own due diligence. She spent a lot of time with the staff. They took the tours. It wasn't just some rushed thing like some people made it out to be. But I don't think it's going to matter in the end. And, again, these guys that say, I'm going to commit now and take on my visits, I don't think they fully appreciate, you know, what happens with that staff. All of a sudden, you know, you're committed. Then their expectation is is for you to continue to be committed and then behave in such a way that you're committed. Uh, the flip side of that is you got Jahi Motus. Another guy that committed, and he's committed to I'm taking my five official visits. I do think he will do that. And I think a lot of that's because he is committed to Alabama rather than Ole Miss. I think Alabama doesn't, doesn't, doesn't care about guys taking official visits elsewhere. I don't think they worry about that. I think they have enough confidence to say, you know what, you don't want to be here, you can lose to us. I think on the Ole Miss side of things, I think, you know, they have to try a little harder to keep kids from visiting other schools because they, they tend to – make other decisions, you know. So we'll see how things progress. But um, recruiting is going okay. I, I would not say we're doing great. I do think that we're going to add a commitment later this week with Aldavian Collins. And then uh, in a couple of weeks, hopefully we'll be able to add uh, maybe Quintel Jones and Stone Blanton. And I think that's what needs to happen. There's some ebb and flow in the recruiting process. And I, and I share this with people every year, and I don't think people fully appreciate it. We're never, ever, 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 ever going to get everybody you want. It's never going to happen. So you need to find a way to come to grips with it. There's a couple guys on our Gene's page message board. It's like if, we, if, if a guy ever starts favoring somebody else, it's like, oh, my gosh, the sky is falling. Guys, it just doesn't work that way. You know, we're never going to get – probably the closest we ever got is a 2015 class. You know, the Leo Lewis, Jamal Peters, Mark McLaurin class. You know, we got everybody. You know, we got absolutely everybody uh, with maybe one or two exceptions. I mean, if it was a boxing match, Mills Lane would have stepped in and stopped it. State absolutely dominated in-state recruiting. But those years are fewer and far between. Most years, State don't miss. are going to split the best players. And so you just need to kind of come to grips with that. That's just the reality of the state in which we live with, live in. And there are some people out there that are going to do whatever they can to ensure that that, that that takes place. So it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try harder. It doesn't mean that we um, – you know, should make excuses for ourselves. I mean, we should. There's some things that we can do better. You know, as a staff. And uh, again, this is really the second recruiting cycle these guys have had to really contend with Ole Miss, and really the closest one to having, you know, a regular cycle. We haven't had a spring evaluation period now in two years. And so, people get up to speed. They learn. They adapt. But we're not ever going to get everybody we want in state. No matter how many message board posts you make or tweets you send or you know, angry text you put in your little group chat with your friends, it's never going to happen. And again, I'm not trying to excuse it and say, you know what, we should just kind of accept the status quo. I think we should go out there and chase every kid we really want. But from a fan perspective, you got to understand we're not going to win them all. It's not going to do it. So we'll see what happens on Wednesday. And again, I think if he commits to Ole Miss, we'll never see him again. People say, oh, you know, he'll still take his visits. That's not – that's – listen, I've been in this game long enough to know how this thing works. Do you remember when Pat Patterson – remember – I remember the talking point that uh, 
you know, his advisor at the time gave him, oh, we, after watching that offense play at Mississippi State-Auburn, I'm just going to decommit. Guys, nobody ever decommits over a ball game. No. That's just the excuse that was provided, you know, by his, uh, quote, advisor. You know, kids look at that and say, you know what, if I'd have played in that game, I'd have won. I'd have made plays. It would have nothing to do with the offense. Had to do with people around him. It happens every time. It's just like the whole thing with, uh, you know, I can't count the times. Um, you know, all of a sudden some kid commits to, to Ole Miss and then never talks to Mississippi State again. It, it happens every couple of years. You know, the, and what's funny, too, is the kids that do maintain a relationship a lot of times end up coming here anyway. You know, and so I just think it's important to, to kind of understand the way this thing works. I mean, the kid can say, listen, I – I intend to take my visits and my recruitment continues. And you know, that makes that commitment seem kind of flimsy. But at the same time, too, why commit then? If you're going to take your visits and you're going to take trips and you're going to kind of get to know it and go through the process, what incentive does he have to commit now? What's the, what's the, what's the motivation to commit now if the recruiting process is going to continue? And I ask that somewhat rhetorically. All right, well, listen, let's get out of here. We'll look forward to being with you guys on Wednesday. We'll preview another Bulldog opponent. Have a lot more to talk about. Looking forward to being back in practice on Tuesday for a little while. I'll let you guys know how that things looks, and, and we'll be able to talk to some coaches. And before you know it, man, we're going to be playing football. Excited about that. Looking forward to you guys getting the book in your hands too. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and I get messages every week about that, go to StarkVillains.com. I wore a Stark Villains shirt on Saturday, and a friend of mine back home took a picture with me, and then I had like four or five people say, hey, where can I get the shirt? StarkVillains.com. That's all handled by the fine folks at Deep South Pout. You know the quality you can get there. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.